0: Greg is not going to be with us today. He is still on vacation. Last week, Sandra spoke, and today I'm going to be sharing with you, uh, and we're going to be continuing our journey in Luke. Um, So just because Greg's not here doesn't mean we're not going to keep going forward um, and working through our way through Luke. So last week, Sandra was with us, and she talked with us about the story of the healing of the leper. And in the story of the healing of the leper, we learned that Jesus is not only about healing us physically but he has healing in store for us emotionally and socially because you see the leper was probably a very isolated person he had to when he was going out in public places he would have to shout out unclean unclean so that all the people that were in the public places could go away and all the healthy people could stay away so the leper was very isolated he was the untouchable nobody would want to touch him because they didn't want to catch his disease and when the leper came to Jesus, Jesus didn't run away. Jesus stayed right there, and Jesus touched him. He brought healing to him where he needed it the most. He brought healing to him in his sense of isolation, in his sense of being alone. In the labels that society had put on him, you are unclean, you are not worthy, he undid all those social labels, and he loved him and showed him that love. So not only did he heal him of his leprosy, but he healed him of the hurt that came with that. And I think that's an amazing story, and we're gonna continue on going through Luke chapter five and talk about healing today. And I'd like to get us started by opening us up in a word of prayer. Jesus, I just thank you so much that you have brought so many people here today. Lord, I ask that you will anoint this message, Lord, and that you will just use it in our lives in a very special way. Lord, I'm so thankful that you have brought us here. I'm so thankful I was able to make it here. Lord, I pray that you will just move, Do your will, do your will in each of us, Lord, we pray. In your name we pray, amen. Of all the messages that I've gotten up here to share with you, this one has probably been the hardest one for me to prepare for. And not because it's necessarily had some huge theological principle that I've needed to wrestle with and unpack so that I could communicate it to you clearly, um, but really because of what God has been doing personally in me this last week. And so because of that, um, every time I've been getting ready for this sermon or preparing for this sermon, a few tears have come to my eyes. And so I want to be able to get through this this morning and really be able to share what I feel like God has been placing on my heart. I want to share with you the journey and the struggle that I've had this week. And so I'd like to ask for maybe 20 people, if you'd be willing to raise your hand and say, Annie, while you're bringing this message forward, I'm willing to pray for you. I'm willing to keep you in prayer. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, Because I think God has something really special for us this morning. And so I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 17 to 20. I've titled this message, The Community of Healers. And I'm hoping that you'll see why that is important as we move forward here. So if you want to, turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to work our way through verse 17 all the way to verse 26. But I'm going to stop us after verse 20. So let's read just 17 through 20 right now. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" There's a couple of things that really stood out to me, and I think it's the setting of the stage that's really important to this whole story, is think about the obstacles that were in place at this moment. The first verse of this whole section gives us a clue about what this paralyzed man and his friends have to face in order to get to Jesus. The first thing that's there is Pharisees and teachers of the law. They're present in this place. This is the first time that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law have been present in Jesus' ministry. They have not been physically present with Jesus up till this point. But you see, the word had been getting out. The word after the leper was healed, the word about Jesus spread and the crowds came. And so the crowds were there. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law had also heard this. And they needed to come and check Jesus out. They weren't coming there to receive healing themselves. They were coming there because their responsibility, they felt, that their responsibility was to keep the nation of Israel faithful to the the law of Moses. So they had developed an elaborate system of traditions in order to be able to keep the nation on track with what they felt, like the Mosaic law was telling them that they needed to do, And they thought they could trap Jesus. So they were there as the skeptics in the corner of the room, just sitting there, watching and waiting for an opportunity to trap Jesus. But that wasn't the only obstacle that was there. The obstacle of the crowd was huge. So many people wanted to reach Jesus. So many people wanted to experience the healing that he had available to them that they couldn't couldn't get through the crowds. But I think there's an important piece here. In spite of those obstacles, the end of verse 17 says, And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. In spite of the obstacles, the power of the Lord was present. And, you know, that stood out to me as an important thing that we need to carry through this whole story as we talk about it this morning. Because the power of the Lord was present in spite of the obstacles. How many times when we're seeking healing or when we're trying to get to Jesus, do we think that when we face those obstacles, oh, it must just not be God's will. Maybe he's not there. Maybe the power isn't there. But you know what? The scripture is telling us something, that even in spite of the obstacles, the power of the Lord was present with Jesus to bring healing. And I think that's really important because it sets the stage for everything that is about to happen. These friends are bringing their their friend, their their paralyzed friend to Jesus, and they want to get in touch with Jesus. And in verse 20, what Jesus says, what Jesus notices is their faith. Jesus notices their faith. Verse 20 says, when Jesus saw their faith. You can't see faith. Faith is an invisible force. You can't see it. But Jesus saw their faith. How did he see their faith? He saw the actions of their faith, the way that they had persevered. They had an assurance that said, you know what? If we can just get into that house, there is one who can heal that's in that house. One who can heal is in there. And if we can just get there, I believe that if we can just get to that house, we can experience healing. And all of a sudden, the obstacles didn't matter. That is faith. Despite the obstacles, I believe that one who can heal is there, and I'm going to do all that I can to get there. That's what they believed when Jesus saw their faith. That's the other thing that is, in, is important here. It wasn't just the man who was paralyzed. It wasn't just his faith. It was their faith. It was the faith of the friends that Jesus noticed. That's what stood out to Jesus. You know what? The obstacles can get in the way. And so many times when we look at the obstacles, we see the skeptics sitting in the corner. We see the judgment that they've passed upon us and we don't feel like we can get to Jesus. We look at the crowds and other external obstacles that are in the way and we're like, we just can't get past them. They're too hard. You know what, maybe we even look at ourselves and see our own weakness as an obstacle. Think about that man who was paralyzed. He didn't feel like he could get to Jesus. He couldn't even walk. How could he get to Jesus? His own weakness was in the way of him being able to reach Jesus. But you know what? Then came the friends. Then came the community of healers. They came along and they said, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out how to get you to Jesus. They had to use their own human skills, their own human talents, their own abilities, their own ideas to figure out how to get this man to Jesus. All right, we're going to get him on a mat. We're going to get him on a mat, and we're going to carry him to Jesus because he can't walk. So we're going to carry him to Jesus. So they get him on this mat. They figure it out. They walk him to Jesus. We don't know how far. But they walk him to Jesus, and when they get there, they can't get to Jesus. There's the crowd. It's in the way. In, in Mark chapter 2, in this very same story, when Mark is telling the story, he said that the crowds had filled the house and were outside the door. They, were, they couldn't even see Jesus. There was no way they could get to Jesus. And yet, in spite of the obstacle, these friends, using their own human ideas, their own abilities, said, the roof. Instead of the obstacle of the crowd, they saw the roof. The roof is our opportunity. And what they did then is they took their friend and they got him up on the roof. They Think about that. Taking a man who can't walk, who probably can't even help them, get him up on the roof, and they got him up on the roof. And they removed the tile and they lifted him down to Jesus and brought him right in front of Jesus. Imagine that. The crowds had gotten him past the obstacles, or the friends had gotten him past the obstacle of the crowds. It's an amazing story of the community of healers that came around, a man who felt like he couldn't reach Jesus, who overcame the obstacles that were there as his friends. It was their faith that mattered. And it was their faith that Jesus noticed. I think it's important that Jesus noticed this because he was telling us something, I think, about how we need to be a community to one another. We need to be a community of healers. It's our faith that matters. Now, the reason that this story got so hard for me and so difficult for me is because in my life, I have experienced the power of a community of healers. And I want to share this story with you because this has been the struggle that I've been going through this week. This has been the struggle that I've been wrestling with and getting back in touch with this experience in my life. It's been a little bit painful, but has also been incredibly healing. My husband was diagnosed with cancer in June of 2000. It was a pretty serious thing. It had moved to multiple places in his body. And so the doctor said that the only option really for treatment was a stem cell transplant. That's a pretty... Pretty significant treatment. In a stem cell transplant, what they do is, is they bombard your body with so much chemotherapy that they wipe out your immune system. Their goal is to get your white blood cell count down to as close to zero as they possibly can. You can't fight anything. A common cold, a simple bacteria that for you and I would be no big deal could kill somebody that has no immune system. The doctor called it an atomic bomb. It was like an atomic bomb. That's how powerful it was. We decided that that was a very important piece for us to go forward with treatment, and so we decided to go to do the stem cell transplant, but it was pretty intense. We were at the doctor's office eight to ten hours, days, while they were doing chemotherapy and doing tests, and we had two children, ten and three at the time. And so we were trying to juggle jobs, we were trying to juggle children, we were trying to juggle all of this stuff with the doctor, at the same time we, just got hard, we could hardly keep life together. So then our community came, our community of healers came, a couple of women came, and they said, you know what, we're, we're willing to clean your house. We had to clean that house two times a week sometimes, and it wasn't just your simple cleaning. You had to take the antibacterial products and you had to wipe down every doorknob, every cover knob, everything. You had to wipe it down so that it could be as clean as possible. Uh, a lot of times with these stem cell transplants, they don't even mess with all of that. They just admit them into the hospital to try and keep them as sterile as sterile possible in as sterile of an environment as possible. But we wanted Kevin to be home with us, and our community of healers helped us to do that. And you know, being in the doctor's office 8 to 10 hours a day, I didn't have time to be able to cook meals. That was the last thing on my mind. So another group of folks got together, and they said, we're going to start bringing you meals on a rotation each week. And for two days a week, they would, on a rotation, bring us meals. And these were meals. I mean, they weren't just, you know, your simple little meals that I cook for myself. These were the kinds of meals that had portion sizes that were huge. They'd last you three meals. They had the salad. They had the sides. They had the desserts. I never cooked desserts for myself. These ladies cooked desserts for us and we had desserts. We had meals better than what we had for ourselves because they were a community of healers using the gifts that God had given to them to care for us during our time of need. You know, after the stem cell transplant was done, Kevin had a lot of recovery to do. And three months after the stem cell transplant was done, he went back for his PET scan. And it showed that the cancer was still growing and it had progressed and moved into his lungs. So at that point, the doctor said the only option at this point is to go for more chemotherapy. So he went through another six rounds of chemotherapy. One month after that round of chemotherapy was done, the cancer had grown even more. The doctors at that point said, there's nothing really more that we can do. Traditional treatments probably won't work. So at that point, we decided to go down to the Mayo Clinic and get a second opinion. We drove down to Rochester, and the doctors down there said the same thing. Traditional treatments probably won't work. Um, But they had an experimental study that we could be a part of, and maybe try that. It had been shown to be somewhat effective with lymphoma, so we decided to be a part of that. After the third treatment under the experimental study, One night in the middle of the night, Kevin started feeling some pressure in his chest. And it was interesting because at that night when we had gone to bed, I had felt the tumors in his neck. I kind of felt them on a regular basis just to see where they were at. And by morning when I touched them, I could physically notice that they had just grown in short eight-hour time frame. We knew something was wrong. We called down to Mayo Clinic right away and they said, you need to come right away. So we got in the car and we drove down there. And... When we got down there they looked at him and he had fluid building up in his lungs and the cancer was definitely growing and so they said at that point the experimental study was no longer going to be a possibility either. They had no hope for us, they said the best thing you can do is go back to the hospital and get the fluid that's on your lungs taken off. And so they called ahead to St. John's Hospital and we had to drive right from Mayo Clinic to St. John's Hospital. That was the longest 90 minute drive of my life. You know, you wish Rochester wasn't so far away, because that whole time, Kevin and I were just sitting there, mostly in silence. We couldn't believe what was happening. It was hard to believe that after all the faith and all the prayers, so many people coming around us, that this would be the kind of news that we would get. We got to St. John's Hospital at that point, feeling almost desperate, feeling like so emptied of faith. And as we were walking into St. John's Hospital, out comes Mike. Now Mike had been praying for us for a long time. He had come to our house and he had laid hands on Kevin and prayed for him. How could it be that Mike was at St. John's Hospital walking out the front doors of St. John's Hospital at the same time that we were going in? We told Mike what was going on and he sat down right there on the steps of St. John's Hospital and prayed with us. At the moment when our faith was depleted, at the moment when we didn't feel like there was any more hope, Along came somebody from our community of healers and prayed for us. Our faith was renewed. We went into St. John's Hospital just waiting and hoping for Jesus to show us the next step. And he did. And Kevin went on for more treatment. There are so many stories I could tell you of times at the right moment, in the right time, when we needed it the most, somebody would give us a call. Somebody would send us a card. Somebody would do something amazing to show that God is still with us. To renew that faith and that hope that one who heals is there. There's one who heals and he's there and we just have to get to him. We have to overcome the obstacles that are in front of us and it's our community of healers that helped us do that. I had started early on in this stage with Kevin as sending emails. I think I started with about a dozen people sending emails saying, would you pray for this, would you pray for that? By this time, the email list had grown to probably about 100 people. Those 100 people were forwarding those emails on to multiple other people, and there were probably thousands of people that were receiving emails and praying for Kevin at that time. They were our email community of healers, and they were a great community. And one day, um, Kalen... Our daughter, 10 years old at the time, I think she was 11 at the time actually, had an awards ceremony on a Sunday night that she had to go to. Part of that ceremony was to have her father walk her down the stage, and he wanted to do this so much. This was such a big deal for them. The Friday before the ceremony, Kevin woke up in the morning and he couldn't walk. We were able to get him to the doctor's office and they couldn't really give us a reason why he couldn't walk. It could possibly be a tumor that had grown and put some pressure on a nerve. They couldn't tell us why, they couldn't do anything about it, they couldn't tell us how long it would last. We were really disappointed because the most important thing for Kevin was to be able to walk Kaelin down to the stage. That was important to him, to be a part and participant in this ceremony. So we did two things. One is we called up and ordered a wheelchair, because no matter what, Kevin was going to get her down to that stage, no matter what. But we emailed our community of prayer warriors, and we asked them to pray that Kevin would be able to walk. And they must have been praying. They must have been praying big time, because on Sunday morning, when Kevin woke up, he felt better than he had in months. And he got out of bed and he walked. He got out of bed and he walked. There were so many miracles all along the way, things that I can't even describe and things that I could probably go on for hours and tell you about how God moved at moments when we didn't feel like things would change or things would be different. And it is hard for me to tell you too that Kevin did not survive and he went home to be with Jesus after 18 months of treatment. I don't know why he wasn't healed of cancer, but I do know that all along the way he experienced healing in countless ways. When we talk about the leper and that the healing was so much more than physical, that the healing was emotional, that the healing was God just showing himself to that leper, that's the kind of healing that Kevin experienced. During that time, Kevin was healed of so many emotional hurts. God really showed up for him. He was healed of the pain of broken relationships in his life. And God showed him and revealed himself to Kevin and brought healing into his life. God showed Kevin himself in a way that I don't know that you or I could even understand or explain. But Kevin knew Jesus. Kevin knew Jesus. He knew Jesus in a very, very special way because Jesus revealed himself to Kevin in a way that I don't even understand. Watching that experience and watching that relationship, even I don't understand. But Kevin knew Jesus, because Jesus touched him. Through that whole time, Jesus touched him. And you know what, the community of healers didn't end at that point. The community of healers was there for me. And in the last five years, I could tell you a whole other series of stories of how this community of healers has helped me to experience healing experience healing from my emotional hurt, experience healing from my grief, from my pain. This community of healers has been there to carry me and to show Jesus to me, to show Jesus to me in a beautiful way. That is the importance of a community of healers, because sometimes we just can't do it alone. Sometimes we need a body to care for us. Sometimes we need others to come around us and take us to Jesus when we can't get there on our own. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 16 says, From him, that is Jesus, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Their faith mattered. The friends who brought that man to Jesus were representing that scripture in Ephesians they were showing us the picture of what the body of Christ is supposed to be like. That's why Jesus noticed their faith. They were a community of healers. They got past the obstacles. And you know what? There's still one more obstacle. There's a second part to this story because, you see, the community of healers had gotten the paralyzed man past the crowd, past the crowd and brought him to Jesus, got past the obstacles. Now the paralyzed man is laying at Jesus' feet. And there's still another obstacle. Remember when I was setting the stage, there's those Pharisees that are sitting there in the corner. They're sitting there in judgment. They're sitting there trying to capture and catch Jesus in any way that they can. There's another obstacle yet to overcome. And I want to get past this, this part now and look at the second part of the scripture because Jesus, it's his turn now. And he's going to overcome the second obstacle in a really incredible way. So let's get back to Luke. Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 20 again. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, friend, your sins are forgiven. Do you ever wonder why Jesus didn't say, Get up you're mad and walk, you were healed. Instead he says, Friend, your sins are forgiven. I think that is very important because the reason that Jesus says that is because he's going to talk to the Pharisees now and it's time to show the Pharisees something about himself. He wants to reveal himself in a very special way here. So instead of saying that he is healed, he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Here's why. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Jesus knew what the Pharisees were thinking. You see, the Pharisees had for a long time associated sickness with sin. In fact, it was a common way of looking at sickness in that day and age, that if you were sick, then it was probably most likely because of your sin. And so you were outcast not only because of your physical ailment, but you were judged and outcast oftentimes because it was assumed that there was sin in your life and that's why you were sick. Jesus knew that this was their thinking, and so he decided to confront it here. He was overcoming that second obstacle because they were skeptical of Jesus. They were placing judgment upon these people who were here to be healed, and Jesus decided to do something about it. He was not affirming. Their belief that illness was directly caused by the man's sin. In fact, we find out in other scripture that Jesus actually comes against this thinking in John chapter 9 when the disciples and Jesus are walking along and they come across a blind man. And the disciples actually ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, was this man, was it this man's sin or his parents' sin that made him blind? And Jesus responded, neither. It was neither this man's sin nor his parents' sin that made them blind. He was coming against the thinking of the day that because they were sick, it was because of some sort of sin in their life. There are no formulas to healing. There are no formulas that say, here's why we get sick and here's why we don't. This is why Kevin got cancer and this is why he, I didn't. I don't know the answer to that question. And I can't answer that question. There are no formulas. There's no answers. There's no secret that... If we do it this way, X, Y, Z, 1, two, three, that somebody will be healed. And Scripture is very clear about showing us that. If you look at the stories of healing throughout the New Testament and throughout the Gospels, they're always done in a different way. Always, there's no formulas. There's no way we can look at it and say, this is why. But we want to. We want to so bad. You know, when Kevin wasn't healed, the first question that pops into my head is, why? Why wasn't he healed? I want to know the answer to that question, but there isn't one. There isn't an answer to that question, but what you jump to and what you try and do is, well, maybe we just didn't pray enough, or maybe there wasn't enough faith, or maybe he didn't have enough faith, or maybe there was this thing, or maybe we made that wrong decision. You want to second-guess yourself and try and uncover and answer the question of why. But there isn't an answer to that, and Jesus never tries to answer that question. And I think that that's an important thing for us to note. He doesn't try and answer that question. There is one answer to that question. The one answer that I've come to accept and be okay with, and that is, is I don't know. I don't know. That's the answer to that question. The world is too complex. There's too many variables or combinations of variables, and I can't come up with the answer. I have to learn to live in the ambiguity of the question. I don't know the answer. And that's okay with me. I've become okay with that. Because there is one thing I do know, and that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. The thing that I do know is Jesus has the power and the authority to heal. And not only does he have the power and the authority to heal of physical illnesses, he has the power and authority to forgive sins. And this is really, really important jesus was declaring his authority as the son of god to heal sins and to bring spiritual healing to the people that was he was declaring up till now he had been performing miracles casting out demons he had been performing healing this is the first point in the story of luke where jesus is saying something more about himself he is saying that not only like other prophets and teachers have I been able to heal, but I am declaring that I am the Son of God and I am among the people. That's what Jesus is declaring right now. And that is what I know. And that is what I put my faith in. I know that there is one who is here who can heal. I know that because he has declared it here. He has the power to heal. He has the power to forgive sins. This is really important because up until now, the only place that you could receive forgiveness of sins was at the temple in Jerusalem. So in order to receive the forgiveness of sins, you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem, offer the sacrifices, and go through the priesthood in order to be able to get forgiveness from God. Jesus is making a very radical claim here. When he says, friend, your sins are forgiven, he is saying that no longer do you have to go to the temple to receive healing. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. And I am here bringing the broken humanity, unforgiven humanity, and I am offering forgiveness to bring them back to God. That is the reason that he is here, and he is making that very clear. He's making it very clear with the Pharisees present and saying, this is why I am here. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is among the people. Forgiveness is among the people. No longer do they have to go to the temple. I have spiritual healing available for you here. That's what Jesus is saying and that's what we can put our faith in. Jesus asked the question of the Pharisees. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? It would have been much easier for Jesus just to say to the man, get up and walk. He would have been able to demonstrate the power of the Lord that was upon him for healing He would have been able to demonstrate that. It was much harder for him to say your sins are forgiven, to cause all this ruckus and to do all of that, and he can't prove that it's true. You can't see that the man's sins are forgiven. So it's much harder actually to say, man, friend, your sins are forgiven, because we don't know that he can actually do that, because there's nothing to demonstrate it. So it's very important what happens here next in Scripture. Because Jesus demonstrates not only that he has the power to heal, he also demonstrates that he has the power to forgive sins. Because if, claim, if, if his claims are not true, if he does not have the power to forgive sins, then the man should not be healed. The power of God would not be able to flow through him for healing. But if his claims are true, if he does truly have the power and authority to forgive sins, then the man will be healed. So let's go back to Luke and find out what the end of the story brings. Luke chapter 5, verse 22. Verse 24. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, We have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. And they truly did. They had seen something in the ministry of Jesus that no one had seen before. And it was remarkable. It was beautiful. Because Jesus was demonstrating that he has the authority To both heal and to forgive sins he can bring healing to our broken spiritual lives he can bring healing to our physical bodies he can bring healing to the emotional pain and the hurt that we have his message like the message of the leper the message of the leper says my healing is not only for your leprosy my healing is also for your emotional hurt and your emotional pain My healing is also to come against the judgments that society has placed upon you and to minister to you in a way different than anyone else has before. That's the healing message of the story of the leper. And Jesus is repeating that message here in the story of this man who was paralyzed and can now walk. My message of healing is not just for your physical body, not just so that you can walk again, but my message is so that you can experience the spiritual healing and connection with God that humanity so desperately needs. I have come to bring you back to God, to bridge the gap that sin has brought between man and God. That is my purpose. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is near. This message has taught me and reminded me of the importance of looking at healing differently. I have to look at healing differently. Our faith matters. The faith of the friends matters. We need a community of healers. We cannot overcome these obstacles alone. We have to have that community. We also need Jesus to heal more than just our physical bodies. His healing for Kevin was so much more than physical healing. His healing for the leper was so much more than the physical healing. His healing for this man who was paralyzed was so much more than that. This really, really was brought home to me more. Um, About a year ago, I teach the Discover Your Gifts class, and it's a class where we um, go through all sorts of different ways that God has designed us, and we look at our talents, and we look at our spiritual gifts, and we look at our personality types, our values, and we ask the question, God, how have you designed me? And I was teaching through the spiritual gifts, and we were talking about them um, as a group, having some dialogue, and we had gotten to the gift of healing. And as part of the class, I share a lot about my story with Kevin, especially around the spiritual gifts because it was so amazing how the body just used all the the spiritual gifts to really come around us during that time. And I was getting to the gift of healing and I was just, we were talking about it and I was just like, you know, this is the one gift I wish I had. When Kevin was sick, I prayed every day that God would give me the gift of healing, that I could just lay hands on him and he would be healed and I'm disappointed that God didn't give me that one because that's the one I want. If I could pick from the list of spiritual gifts, I want that one. (laughs) And I still want that one. (laughs) And, you know, I was sharing that with the group of people there, and we had a break after we were done, and one of the girls came up to me during break, and she said, Annie, Annie, you have to know, I need to tell you that you have the gift of healing. You have the gift of healing hearts. And I started to cry because I had not looked at healing like that before. I had not looked at it. And when I put those glasses on and I looked through those lenses at my experience with Kevin, in a year and a half through all of that turmoil, I saw how God had given me the gift of healing in Kevin's life. That the healing that Kevin had experienced that I had gotten to be a part of. And God had used me and he had flowed through me in incredible ways in Kevin's life. And I just had to thank Jesus. I had to thank him for using me and giving me the gift of healing. We need to look at healing differently. Because there are so many people in the world. There are so many people in this room that need healing. We're all struggling with different things. And we need a community of healers to come around us. You know, some of you here may be sick. Maybe you're not in the hospital sick, but you have a problem physically, and it's causing difficulties in your life. Maybe it's not as serious as cancer, but maybe it is cancer. And maybe you're scared, and you need a community of healers to come alongside you and be with you and touch you. Maybe you're hurting and you feel like you are the untouchable, like the leper, that you have been outcast, that social labels have been put on you and you can't reach Jesus and you need someone just to touch you and to be a community of healers to you. Maybe you feel alone or discouraged or depressed. There's a Jesus, one who heals. For depression there is one who heals for heartache for hurt for loneliness there is one who heals that's there and we need to be a community of healers that's helping people through that the social labels that have been placed on us God wants to take them away he wants to free us of those social labels so that we can be accepted and comforted and embraced by a community of healers broken relationships can tear us apart they can hurt us right at the core right at the heart Jesus wants to bring healing to broken relationships. He wants to heal us from the hurts that's caused by them. Tragedies and pain are a part of this world. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I've noticed. Bad things can happen. And in part of the tragedies and the grief and the loss that we experience, Jesus is there. And he has a message of healing. He is the one who is there in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our hurt. He is the one who is there to bring healing. That is what Jesus showed me this week. That is what Jesus taught me this week through this message. He was there for Kevin, and he was there for me, and he used this community to do that. And you know what? He's using you today to do that. Because me getting up here and sharing my story about Kevin with you is bringing healing to me. And you guys are helping me experience the kind of healing that Jesus wants to work through me today too. So Jesus is showing up here. He is the one who heals. I know he's here, I know he's there. I will persevere, I will have faith, and your faith will help me to overcome those obstacles. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 and 27 says, speaking of the body of Christ, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. If you rejoice, I rejoice. If you suffer, I suffer with you. My kids, I think, get this. My kids got this, or at least maybe they helped me get this. Um, on a cold, snowy day like today, isn't this picture a great picture? The lakes will unfreeze. The ice will go away. If you've been here when I have preached before, you've heard my, um, all about my fishing habit and I like to go out on the lakes of Minnesota. The land of 10,000 lakes is the place to be in the summer. It's not my favorite place to be in February after 12 inches of snowfall, but it is my favorite place to be in the summer. When I'm not fishing, we're tubing. And this was a day we took my kids out tubing and we're pulling them behind the lake. And I think they get the whole part about if one part suffers, we all suffer. If one part rejoices, we all rejoice. Because it's fun to ride behind the boat like this. But what's really fun, if you've ever been tubing, is that the boat creates a wake. And if you can get that tube to go over the wake and ride out onto the smooth water, that's when it's really fun. I'm going to have you go back one more picture to this middle picture here. I want you to watch what they're doing right there. They're leaning together. In order to get over the wake, you have to lean Together. They were trying to get over the wake, and they were like this, leaning in opposite directions, and when one would go this way, the other would go that way, and then one would lean this way, and the other would lean that way, and they'd hit heads. It was just not a pretty sight. When they figured out if they lean together, they can get over the wake, then they were outside, riding on the smooth water, having a blast. Once they figured it out, they were going back and forth across the the wake. They were having just a total blast. My kids get it. you got to lean together. We need a community of healers that leans together and we need to lean with Jesus because he is the one who heals and he is the one who is going to take us there. How do we become a community of healers? I think this is really important for us to figure out how to be a community of healers. We really need to be able to invite the community into our lives. And it is one of the hardest things to do. I think our society teaches us that independence and keeping your stuff to yourself is the most important thing. But when you have a need, you need to share it. You need to invite the community into your life. It's hard to do in a crowd this size. You're not going to be able to share your needs in a crowd this size. You need to have a core community that surrounds you, that you can really allow them to invest in your life. Because sometimes that community can notice things that you aren't willing to say because they know you that community is the kind of community that will really be able to meet the needs that you have when you need it the most to really be able to get you past the obstacles that of the crowd and of this world we need a community if you're not in a small group consider doing the hard work to build that kind of relationship and it isn't easy it isn't easy being a part of that community It can be really messy it can be really tough Some of us maybe even have experienced broken relationships and hurts because of being involved in small groups that didn't go right. It takes work, and it takes commitment, and it takes perseverance. But a community of healers can be a very powerful thing. So invite the community into your life. Don't let shame, don't let judgment, past judgment, skepticism keep you from letting the community bring healing into your life. Another thing is perseverance. In this story, perseverance really stood out, didn't it? Those folks persevered. Persevere with one another in faith. It stood out to Jesus. It was their faith that he saw, and it was demonstrated by their perseverance. So becoming a community of healers means persevering and persevering with one another, sticking it out through the tough stuff, helping each other overcome obstacles. And I think a really key piece to being able to be used by God for healing is to pray for one another. We really need to be encouraging one another in prayer. We need to be lifting the needs together for one another in small groups, corporately, for those people we're in relationships with. How are we being a community of healers in the workplace? How are we being a community of healers in our families? How are we being a community of healers in our small group? And asking that question, how can we do this? I'd like to ask the worship team and the altar team to come forward because I would like us to spend some time praying for one another. I think it's important piece for becoming a community of healers to really be able to take our needs to the Lord in prayer. But before we do that, I want to ask you guys to do something because I think it's important for us corporately to acknowledge the importance of being a community of healers. And so I'd like you to stand with me, and together, I'd like us to make a declaration. A declaration to be a community of healers. It's going to be up on the PowerPoint slides. And I'm going to just want us to to read it in unison together as a declaration to God and to one another that we want to be a community of healers. Read with me. We are joined together as one body by your spirit. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when one suffers we all suffer by our perseverance through the obstacles we demonstrate our love for one another and our faith in the one who heals we come together today as a community of healers to support and strengthen one another in our common quest for healing and wholeness in Jesus name We want to be a community of healers. Some of you are here today and you have a need for healing, any type of healing. And I'm going to ask you to be willing to come forward and receive prayer for that healing. I'd like to maybe ask you to consider doing something just a little bit special here. If you're here with a friend, with someone in your family, with someone in your small group, if you're here, I'd like you to invite your community in And ask them to come down and pray with you so that you are not praying alone but you are praying with a community of healers and we have altar workers here to pray with you if you don't have a family member with you if you don't have a friend with you if you don't have someone from your covenant group with you we are your community and we want to pray for you we want you to experience the healing that God has for you one who heals is here the kingdom of God is here He wants to bring us back to to God. Jesus is here, and he wants to bring us back to God. So I want to invite you, as I close us in prayer, to come forward. Just start walking forward and receive the prayer and the healing that God has for you today. We will be here to pray for you as long as you need us to be here to pray for you. For those of you who aren't coming forward, I ask that you would just say a prayer over the people who are. And as you leave, leave quietly so that the prayer can continue. And I encourage you to continue praying for one another and thinking about how you can be a community of healers. Jesus, we just come to you right now. After our declaration, Lord, we know that you are here to heal. And we know that your calling for us as a body of Christ is to build one another up and to use the gifts that you have given to us to contribute to this body and this community. And so, Lord Jesus, we want you to use us in healing. So Lord, we invite you into this place. I pray for every altar worker that's here that you will anoint them with your power to heal. Lord Jesus, I pray for every person who is here, Lord Jesus, that you will bring healing into their life in a very, very, very powerful way. Let them know that the one who heals is here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. The music will continue. Please come forward. Receive prayer for healing. And for those of you who are here and not coming forward, you're dismissed.